Good afternoon and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. This is Natalie Sprinkle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. Hello, and welcome to today's Coastal Conversations. I can't wait to get into today's show, which is all about working waterfronts, a topic that is so important to the character of our coastal communities. Working waterfronts are those spaces along the shoreline that connect land and sea, places that provide critical access for people who make their living on the water. Pressure on working waterfronts is on the rise again here in Maine due to a bunch of reasons, not the least of which is the increasing real estate market triggered by the global pandemic. On today's show, my guests will help us explore the threats to Maine's working waterfronts, who is most affected, and what might be done about those threats. We'll learn about a recent new report called The Critical Nature of Maine's Working Waterfronts and Access to the Shore, written by one of our guests, Merritt Carey. This report was written at the request of the Island Institute, which is also represented on our show today by Nick Batista, the Island Institute's chief policy analyst. Our third guest today, Bar Harbor resident and town councilor Val Peacock, will help us take a look at how these issues are playing out on the ground in Bar Harbor, a town where cruise ships and increased tourism are triggering some tough conversations about how communities can plan for the future of their working waterfronts. A quick FYI, this conversation was pre-recorded on February 7th, so we're not taking any calls today. And with that, let's get on with the show. Super excited to have you guys here today to talk about working waterfronts and the challenges that working waterfronts in Maine face. Um, but before we jump into the heavy details and local stories related to working waterfronts in Maine, um, let's go ahead and have you guys introduce yourselves to our listeners. So um, I have three folks with me today, um, and I'll just go around and have each of you guys introduce yourselves. And why don't we start with, let's go with Nick. Hello, Nick Batista, Chief Policy Officer at the Island Institute in Rockland, Maine. I'm our in-house lobbyist and government relations person. Um, and among other things, I lead our strategic partners team. Great, thank you, Nick. Welcome aboard. And let's go with Val. Hi, I'm Val Peacock. Um, by profession, I'm an education consultant, um, but I'm a resident of Bar Harbor. I'm also a member of the town council and, also, and the Harbor Committee of Bar Harbor. Um, and uh, over my sort of time, I've spent some time lobstering on the back of boats and scallop diving and have worked in marine science as well, um, fishery science, and have had lots of experience with fisheries in Maine, but it's not what I do for my work. <laughs> Great. Great to have you, Val. And let's go with Merritt. Hey, I'm Merritt Carey. I'm a fisheries uh, consultant. I live in Yarmouth, Maine. 
And I recently formed um, an LLC called Maine Working Homes, uh, trying to create opportunities, home ownership opportunities for year-round Mainers. It's great to have all of all three of you here. Um, and I would love to hear from you guys each a little bit. Um, uh, what brought you to the realm of really caring about working waterfronts? Sort of what is it that that connects you to that space? And we'll talk about like, well, what do we mean about working waterfronts eventually on the show? Um, but first, let's talk about sort of what they mean to you and what brought you to that space. And any one of you can jump in. I'll dive in. Uh, this is Merritt. Um, I think for me, working waterfronts, it, it, they really define a sense of community. I've spent a lot of time in the coastal town of Tenants Harbor, where I was a summer resident as a child and growing up there, um, formed relationships within the community that um, grew as I uh, returned to Maine and became a year round resident. And seeing the changes over the past 20, 30 years and um, recognizing how important our working waterfronts are for who we are as Mainers um, and our sense of place, both within the state and also I think within the region and the world, all of those things really play into why I feel this is an extremely important issue. Uh, and of course, in addition, the economic impacts of the negative economic impacts of losing our working waterfront communities and what that can potentially mean for the state uh, as we go forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about you, Nick? So an early memory for me um, where I started to appreciate working waterfronts is being a kid seven or eight years old fishing for mackerel off the dock in Rockport. And was the dock where lobstermen were landing their catch and just sort of that appreciation for people running a business um, on the ocean and that connection to the land. Um, I think that sparked something. In college, I worked at a, summers at a boatyard um, and also, again, got to see that connection between people and, and the land and business and the need to, for some businesses to be right on the water. Um, professionally, I've always been drawn to working on working waterfront issues and the connection between um, communities and the ocean and businesses. Worked for Congresswoman Shelley Pingree um, and supported her on working waterfront legislation and policy. Um, worked with you, Natalie, to help start the National Working Waterfront Network um, and have done a variety of, of working waterfront related um, pieces of work at the Island Institute since. Thanks. And Val. Yeah, so I moved here from New Hampshire when I was 17. I was um, already a recreational scuba diver. And when I got to Maine, I found out that pretty much no one dives for fun here, that they dive for work. And so I kind of accidentally, by wanting to scuba dive, got involved in um, commercial diving operations and, you know, working on boats and working um, as a scallop diver and um, kind of just accidentally ended up in uh, working waterfront. <laughs> um, and um, that rolled into a job as assistant harbor master in Bar Harbor. So I was assistant harbor master for three summers where I worked on the waterfront, um, managing and understanding issues around, you know, access and um, com competition of space, you know, a limited use space with lots of things happening at the same time and trying to manage that. Um, so I got a kind of up close view of it that from that perspective. 
And then um, I also worked for the state um, for the DMR doing the lobster sea sampling program for a bunch of years, almost 10 years. And in that program, I got to travel up and down the whole down east coast um, for, in all kinds of different ports and kind of saw a big range and variety of how of access points that fishermen have to the, to the waterfront, including beautiful like co-ops and, you know, docks to to like just pulling up to the side of the road and launching your skiff in the mud flats to get out to boats and um, kind of just experienced all that. And then I got to work in the Eastern Maine Skippers program through my education work and um, spent a lot of time working with young people looking at issues and communities and the connection between fisheries and community vitality and really just spending a lot of time seeing how what the role of the working waterfront was to the past, present and future of, of communities and through the, the lenses of um, young people's eyes. And so it just got me a lot of experience. I've just seen a lot. I've been a lot of places and been around a lot. I'm just interested and curious. And then, you know, now being on the town council and the Harbor Committee in Bar Harbor and really having some big issues in front of us um, and trying to and trying to manage those, you know, glad to have the perspective that I have and the history that I have in, in those conversations, but also seeing um, that uh, that's kind of unique in some ways of being at the table that not everyone has that same breadth of, of experience. And so trying to think about how, how to actually come together as a community to talk about these things and to work to you know um, think about what is the value of these and how do we value them and what is the future of working waterfront in Bar Harbor. So it's kind of a culmination of a lot of my personal and, and um, work history coming, coming to the plate right now. Mm -hmm. I, I am so intrigued how all three of your stories um, really there there's that personal connection of time on the water and time at that at in that space between land and sea and the work that you do and the childhoods memories that you have and and how that really plays into sort of this overall sense of what the coast of Maine is all about um, and so so when we say the term working waterfront what do, what do we mean like what are we talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the definition of working waterfront is something that um, speaks to the to the heart of why this can be a somewhat challenging issue. We know them when we see them. They're those places where people are running their businesses on the water and they're connecting to the land. But when we start to try to define them in policy and language and we start to try to define them in zoning, we struggle a little bit because they're, each one is as unique as the businesses that are that are working on them. And so for me, there's sort of this functional definition of working waterfronts, which is where, where that economic activity on the ocean meets the land. And these are places that by the nature of the work that's happening on, on them have to be on the water. You can't have a fishing business and have your wharf two miles inland like how do you how do you get your your lobsters from your boat to your wharf two miles inland? Like it just they it it doesn't make sense. It's got to be these are businesses that have to be on the water, and that's different from a restaurant or a hotel whose business model may be greatly enhanced by being on the water. Um, you can still have a restaurant inland. You can still um, perform the same functions inland, um, and so it's for me it's really that functional business test. In various policies, there are different, different definitions of working waterfront. So in Maine, we've long prioritized commercial fishing activity um, as part of the working waterfront. And really that is where some of the state programs are focused on protecting the working waterfront. 
but it's broader than that. It's in Maine, our working waterfronts include boat yards, they include marinas, they include other places um, that make up that waterfront. I, I think for me, there's like an, um, you know, it would be great to have a definition of working, like what does that actually mean? And I think, um, because I feel like for me, it's more an emotional thing, right? So it's um, like when I, I think about the difference between being like in Jonesport or Portland. So like Portland feels like, um, you know, big ships are going by. There's like industrial, like that doesn't, even though that's probably fits in the technical definition of working waterfront, to me, working waterfront is like the individual people, like it's not this industrial or big thing. And even in Bar Harbor, I feel like, you know, is a cruise ship visiting the town, like in the access points for a cruise ship, is that working waterfront or a whale watch boat or kayaks being launched versus like fishing or, and I think there's like, like, I think it's like my own judgment about it, you know, like, do I think this is bits into the, <laughs> into the working waterfront versus what is the actual definition? And I think in some ways that that's where we are in Bar Harbor is like, how do we figure out what is, what are the things that belong in our working waterfront um, versus like, the um I don't know and and I think that's what one thing that's interesting to me going like traveling I always go to the waterfronts to see what's going on down there and I always notice the things that we don't have or that are different or that I feel like hmm, I wonder if I would really like having that in my town <laughs> you know what does that feel what does that look like so I have emotional responses to that for me yeah I I would just add to that in terms of working waterfront and and how I view it I think of it strictly in terms of access. How do guys and gals get to work on the water? It's really that simple. So whether you're harvesting seaweed and you need access to that inner tidal zone, as you, as you guys are all aware, there's a, a new lawsuit pending, but there was uh, a lawsuit questioning the, the ownership of the inner tidal zone. So how do you get to the inner tidal zone? How do you get over land to go clamming? What are all of those places that make up our access points along the coast of Maine and what happens when they disappear. I think that to me is the most critical issue. It certainly, um, it certainly bore out in the interviews and the research that I did for my report for the Working Waterfront, which was really a wonderful project to work on. Access points are getting lost um, one by one, little by little they are very unlikely to get regained once they're gone. And I think that's the, that's the tipping point we're, on, we're at right now with the pressure, the downward pressure on real estate post COVID and just more people coming to the state of Maine, which is great for our economy in many ways. So I think it's also prudent for us to be careful about what that means and what we want it to look like. Yeah, that's that's great. Thanks um, to both of you. And and I want to get into in a few minutes um, some of those changes that COVID have brought upon us related to challenges of the working waterfront. Um, but I was wondering, Val, if you could give us the grounding of a of a of a community in Maine that's really grappling with working waterfront from a lot of different angles. Um, and so that community is Bar Harbor. So I thought it'd be useful if you could just kind of Tell us what's going on in Bar Harbor in relation to the working waterfront. 
Yeah, so I just want to clarify that I am a member of the council and the Harbor Committee, but I do not, I'm not speaking for the council or the Harbor Committee. I'm just speaking for myself um, and my own experiences and my thoughts and things that I've seen. Um, so, you know, I was the assistant harbor master in the 90s, early 90s, and um, at that time in the harbor, um, Bar Harbor doesn't have a lot of downtown or sort of um, organized waterfront. There's a, quite a lot of shoreline, but there's not a lot of like access, pri public access points and the, the town pier being the, the, the major um, spot in Bar Harbor, which doesn't really hold a huge harbor. There's not a lot of space. <laughs> it's not really super protected um, all the time. So um, just space is an issue there in Bar Harbor and just because of the geography of, of what we have available to us. Um, in the early 90s, the waterfront was more diversified than it is now. There were ground fishing boats, there were sea cucumber boats, there were lobster boats, there was different types of fishing activity, as well as um, a more varied ownership of the waterfront. There was um, the there's the town pier, but the, the pier next to the town pier was owned by a local um, French Bay Boat and Company at the time on that. Um, there were a few different um, owners of hotels down the shore. And then there was also still a, one pier that was owned by a, a fishing family that where you could actually bring your lobsters into the dock there and sell them. Um, since that time, all, all of almost all of the waterfront now in Bar Harbor besides the town pier is privately owned by hotel companies. So our big uh, ocean properties has um, bought out the, the French Bay um, dock as well as um, that fishing dock doesn't exist anymore either. It's a restaurant now. So there's no um, commercially uh, fishing owned <laughs> or privately owned, um, personally owned, I would say, like um, access points um, to, to the waterfront other than the town pier. Also during that time when I was the harbor master, um, it was just the beginning of the cruise ship industry in Bar Harbor. So um, that the, we had a very few cruise ships that came in. They were a big deal. They were you know, it was, it was exciting. <laughs> they were coming into the town pier at that time. Um, and, you know, that was part of the active engagement from the community and the chamber and the state to bring tourism to Bar Harbor from cruise ship travel um, and to sort of lengthen out our seasons. And that was kind of just starting at that time. Um, so fast forward to now. <laughs> so now we have, um, you know, only sort of one access point of the town pier. Um, and we have almost 300,000 passengers scheduled to visit Bar Harbor on cruise ships this, this season. Um, so it's quite a big, big, um, there's a lot of ships. There's a lot of action. The, the ships are getting bigger. Um, they're really um, focused in the, um, in, the, in the fall. We have hardly any other boats besides lobster boats in the harbor. So there's, there's um, that sort of diversity of fisheries has changed. So there's not fishermen tending nets, you know, like mending nets on the head of the pier anymore. It's like a really lobster focused place. Um, and we have, you know, uh, a million more tourists visiting Bar Harbor um, since that time as well. <laughs> so we have, um, you know, just a lot more people around, a lot more pressure in town. There, the town pier is a parking lot. There are now parking meters. So each parking spot, it has a value that is placed on it by the town now of how much money it can make. Um, and so we have, there's a lot going on in the harbor in this one sort of crowded spot. Um, but we also have um, in the past uh, few years has the town, we've purchased the ferry terminal. So the old ferry terminal property um, that the cat ran out of and the blue nose ran out of, um, was empty for a while. The cat moved to Portland um, and it was sort of, sort of defunct. And now the town uh, as a town voted to 
um, buy that property. So we actually bought the property um, when we bought it at the highest level price that we, and there was like a tiered pricing so that we could do whatever we wanted to do with it. So we have this new access point that the town owns that is kind of just coming into our, into our, which I think is kind of a new thing, right? It's kind of a not normal thing to have opened up access points, but it's a big deal. The, the pier is in rough shape. It needs to come down. It's going to cost millions of dollars to build whatever we want to put there. Um, and so there's a lot of um, talk about the possibilities, but also a lot of pressure of, or competition for what could go there. Should it be a marina? Should it be local access? Should it be cruise ship docks? You know, what, what do we want to have there? What do we want that to look like? What is that going to cost? How are we going to pay for that? And I think for me, it's coming those conversations about what do we want to support in Bar Harbor? What do we, what do we value? What do we want to see in Bar Harbor? And we also have up the bay, and I'll stop after this, <laughs> um, lots of new aquaculture activity happening. So we have um, in French Bay, upper French Bay, we have mussel farming, we have oyster farming, we have seaweed farming happening. Um, and I think those conversations, we haven't really brought those folks to the table to say, what are the needs and the or working waterfront needs or how do they fit, how are they fitting in? They're sort of finding their way. So for me, I'm also interested in like, what, what does that mean? How, do, how does that fit in? And then I'm, I'm sure you also know we have this idea of a big, huge salmon farm coming into Bar Harbor as well and to Frenchman Bay. And so uh, like a really big <laughs> salmon farm. So there's lots of talk about that. How does that fit in and what does that look like? So there is a lot going on just in, in Bar Harbor and trying to sort out, um, you know, a, a small amount of space that has a lot of pressure of use um, and then this new space and then changing fisheries in the bay. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at weru.org. Our show today is about Maine's working waterfronts, and that last voice was Val Peacock from Bar Harbor. The other voices you've been listening to on today's show are Nick Batista from the Island Institute and Merritt Carey, who is the author of a recent report she compiled at the request of the Island Institute. And the report is called The Critical Nature of Maine's Working Waterfronts and Access to the Shore. A quick note that today's show was pre-recorded, so we won't be taking any calls today. I had asked Merritt to tell us a little more about the findings of her report. So here's Merritt. I was just going to add, uh, I, Val, so much going on in Bar Harbor. And one of the things I found, and, and granted, my, my interviews for the report that I did, they were not in any way, shape, or form exhaustive. I could have been interviewing people for years, but frankly, we wanted to, we wanted to produce something that could be leveraged in news in terms of the report. But I did, it, it became very clear to me very quickly, and you're kind of touching on it, Val, how important municipalities are in this conversation. They, and Harbor Masters in particular, but I think uh, there's an expanded role municipalities can play in this conversation. And the municipalities that are doing it really well with respect to protection of the working waterfront, you can, you can tell when you go there, Jonesport is an example. They take care to make sure they have working waterfront people on their town council. Uh, it, I think it's probably easier to do in a town like Jonesport than Bar Harbor. Maybe, maybe not. I don't. I don't really know. But I got that. I got that sense when I was interviewing you, Val, and then um, folks from jo Jonesport. In any case, 
I think there really ought to be an expanded role for, for municipalities in this conversation, whether that's a funded position that's literally like a working waterfront liaison in every municipality. I, I certainly don't have the answers, but that was that absolutely 100% became clear in the conversations that I had that municipalities are going to play a very critical, do play a very critical role in what types of working waterfronts get protected, get promoted, and what those smaller towns, what their economies ultimately will end up looking like. Will they become the towns that are summer residents or vacationers only with large houses on the waterfront, or will they become the towns that maintain maintain and maintain the heritage industries, but also promote newer working waterfront industries, whether that's aquaculture or something else. I, I think the future is, we don't know what it's gonna look like right now, but that role of municipalities, it's critically important. And I think funding needs to be tied to that, obviously, is my larger point. I would just jump in and, and agree that the role of municipalities is absolutely critical to the future of working waterfronts. And when you look at the state of Maine's coastal communities, 75% of our coastal communities have fewer than 3,500 residents and 25% have fewer than 750 residents. That means much of our coast is small towns. And many of those small towns don't have a lot of dedicated municipal staff or planning capacity or ability to support a sophisticated zoning overlay or enforce it. And so it takes both the dedication of locally, you know, local volunteers, people like Val who are who are doing this because they care deeply about their community, and any additional support needed or coming from the outside, whether it's a regional planning commission or an economic development district or from the state or uh, Maine Sea Grant um, or another organization. There's a lot of knowledge in each town, but we have a lot of small towns with very limited capacity to tackle all of the big challenges that are facing our coastal communities. And how, how does how would that play out on the ground? Like what would you envision might happen? Um, I know Merritt that in the report that you produced, um, there was a call for sort of a dedicated organization. Like tell us a little bit about that idea. Well, I, I think it's, it's as basic as it sounds. It became evident to me partway through, and I guess I just never really thought about it, but there's no single entity whose job it is to protect Maine's working waterfront. And I don't think we really have any sense of how important that working waterfront is to our economy. We can tie it to landings and seafood production. And there is a study, an economic impact study right now being uh, taken on by Sea Maine, which will look at the overall picture of um, Maine's fishery, fishings or marine, marine industries, uh, economic impact to our state. So hopefully that will give us a benchmark. But if you think about those working waterfronts in connection to tourism and the do dollars generated there, which is our number one industry, that number gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The point is, we have all this economic activity happening. We can't even measure it. We don't even have a mechanism for measuring it. And we don't have any body that's looking at it and trying to 
strategize and trying to plan for the future. It seems crazy, but it's true. So there's a lot of piecemeal efforts, which are incredible. The Working Waterfront Program is one of them. Work like what Val is doing, the Island Institute, Maine Coast Fishermen's Association, the patchwork. It's great, but it's patchwork. And it's it's a lot of band-aids, frankly. I don't have the the answer, but I think that that was the point of my report. Ultimately, was it was a call to action to try to to try to dive deeper, to try to pull together some funding, and uh, just chart a co- course forward for these coastal communities because it it's tick tock in terms of time, and um, there will always be there will always be landings coming up over our shores. Who knows what's going to happen and what what they will be, but there will always be fish, there will always be things caught or grown that need to come up over our working waterfront. So it's really imperative we keep that infrastructure in place. Yeah. I would just jump in and say, like, from my perspective, like, these are values-based conversations, right? Like, and I think as a council member, as a Harbor committee member, um, often we are sort of hashing through values, right? But we, I don't think we're doing that in sort of comprehensive or um, explicit ways. And so um, depending on who's at the table and who values what, those are the things that are kind of getting talked about. But having community-wide conversations about what we value and then learning about how to codify that, like how does that show up in your land use or in um, in the things that we prioritize? Um, in Bar Harbor, I think, you know, we are, we're not different than any other communities, but we have kind of everything at full volume and there's a lot of competing interests. <laughs> um, it's happening, you know, and there's, and frankly, there's a lot of money. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's just a lot happening. And so what holds that in order to like, not just uh, accidentally or by like negligence, just kind of overlook something that we just uh, take for granted or assume is gonna be there. And then all of a sudden notice is gone. Like we have to bring that explicitly up into the values conversation that we value this and in and more than or as much as these other things. And I think as municipalities, we're struggling with that in lots of different things, not just working waterfront. Like how do we as municipalities have values-based conversations and how do we codify that? And that is really something that I think having people that can help us to understand, to teach us, to create context, to like show examples, to to you know educate, and to bring those conversations forward. If if it's not if you don't have someone there, it's not happening. You know, so how, that that I think is important. I would add one of the things that I I think we sometimes miss in these conversations is that the scale of working waterfronts in Maine is significantly greater than anywhere else on the East Coast. And so a couple of numbers and facts to help put this conversation in context for us. In 2016, Maine fishermen had almost 30% of all commercial fishing trips taken on the entire East Coast. All of those tie back to a working waterfront. Lobstermen alone took 270,000 commercial fishing trips. That's more than Virginia, all the commercial fishermen in Virginia took in the entire state that year. Um, One town in Maine, Harpswell, has almost half the length of shoreline as the entire state of Rhode Island. If we were doing a, if, if somebody in Harpswell had a working waterfront project that they were concerned about, which there are a number of them, 
and we were in Rhode Island, those would be statewide projects. They would be statewide priorities. Val, the work that you're doing in Bar Harbor would be a statewide conversation. Instead, it's just one of the many small towns that we that we have. We think are we have so many working waterfronts, and yet they're all under various forms of pressure. And so I, I think sometimes it's helpful to to pull back a little bit and say, if we were in a different state, the conversations about each working waterfront that we're having would be statewide conversations instead of conversations that are left to a volunteer town council with some support from other interested parties, technical assistance providers, or people who happen to live in the community who have some knowledge to, to bring to bear. That's such an interesting point to compare to what would be a statewide initiative versus sort of local municipal initiative with a bunch of volunteers on on the various boards and committees. Uh, it's, it's a really illuminating example. Thank you for that. Um, I've uh, I've heard maybe it was Nick mentioned the working waterfront or maybe it was Merritt the working waterfront access protection program, which is is maybe one of our few statewide programs. Um, can you guys just give an overview of what are the current mechanisms um, short of a unified dedicated initiative um, that that we talked about being called for earlier? What exists now that's already in the books that municipalities can use to help protect their working waterfront? I can take a take a start at this. Um, in some ways, this is a relatively easy question to answer. The Working Waterfront Access Protection Program um, is one of the few state programs out there that are dedicated specifically to working waterfronts. And so in Maine, that program, um, the state purchases a working waterfront covenant um, on a property from a willing willing seller. It's a lengthy process to go through, but it allows the state to own a property interest in a specific working waterfront property. And the state has that ownership interest and that property remains a working waterfront forever. It takes a seller who wants to partner with the state, wants to sell a property interest to the state. It takes a timeframe for a project that can go through the due diligence process that happens when you are selling a long-term property interest to the state. Um, and it takes the funding at the state level um, to buy that interest. And so the Working Waterfront Access Protection Program um, is managed by the Maine Department of Marine Resources. It's under the LMF suite of LMF programs, Land for Maine Future programs. There's currently a call for um, letters of, of interest. If you have a working waterfront that you are that you want to participate in this program, this is a good time to reach out to the state and make sure that you get a letter of interest in. Um, I think it closes at the end of February. Um, beyond that, municipalities have some ability to regulate working waterfronts through zoning. There's a variety of different kinds of zoning overlays or zoning protections that you can provide for, for, for working waterfronts. Um, but all of those rely on, on the parcel changing hands or a change of use happening or 
um, something else that uh, triggers the the need for the zoning to come into come into play. Beyond that, much of the working waterfront protection we see is around um, supporting the resilience of the working waterfront business that operate off the working waterfronts, and it's around. Um, FEMA flood insurance issues. And so if you're in a working waterfront, you are by nature on the water. Um, if you have or need to get a federally backed loan, mortgage from a bank, um, you need to, it's very hard to do that or very expensive to do that if you're in a floodplain because you need flood insurance. And so we've seen numerous times where working waterfront properties went to go get financing from a bank and were told, great, we can loan you this $100,000 for 20 years, but you're gonna pay $10,000 a year in flood insurance um, for that money, which just makes it a non-starter. A non um, but you know, at the, the short answer is there aren't a huge number of programs dedicated specifically to working waterfronts. It's about all of the other programs that can come in and support the resilience of a particular working waterfront. Mm -hmm. Just um, chiming in also on that that patchwork quilt um, approach. Again, there there are a number of smaller grant programs, um, the coastal community planning grants. A lot of them, as Nick um, mentioned, are designed for mun municipalities to take on. But we we mentioned this earlier. Municipalities are often understaffed, or overworked, or dealing with more uh, pressing, I guess, issues. So I'm not sure that I, it's unclear to me how how much those types of smaller grants actually get leveraged in the municipalities that really should be leveraging them. All of this, I think, when I was doing my report, and it's something I've thought about a lot over the years. So the Working, Water Pro Working Waterfront Protection Act, it's a great, great program. It's phenomenal. And it's done more for Maine's Working Waterfront, in my view, than any other program, bar none. And it's supported by taxpayers. So it's, you know, it's Maine taxpayers saying, we believe in this, we're going to fund this bond. And then DMR, uh, with many others, administering and getting these, getting these protection easements in place. It is a heavy lift for anyone wanting to undertake this process. I'm an attorney. I, I've seen the process. It's not for the faint of heart. And it's a it's very limited in what it can do. It doesn't, there's not a lot of wiggle room, if you will, which makes sense. It's an easement, it's a legal arrangement, it's a big deal. I think one of the things that I saw over and over, and I, I've seen it so often play out in so many different ways, is that. This program, it's great, but really, if you're if you if you make your living fishing, and you have to go out and you have to you know on on fishing days you've got to go out and haul or whatever the case is, how are you going to do this program? Like how you don't have that skill set, and that's where this need for an entity to come in and really help support protecting our working waterfront, whether it's through this program or other programs is really important. And just, you know, on a, on a very general level, all of the lobbying that happens in Augusta and in DC, any day a fisherman takes a day off the water to go and advocate for him or herself 
in DC or in Augusta, if it's a fishing day, they're losing money. No one, so there's not a support mechanism in place to advocate. As I said, there's a few Maine Coast Fishermen Association, Island Institute, there are entities there, but I think there needs to be more. Um, um, Maine Lobstermen's Association, of course, is a is a big one, a very important one. But there needs to be more and more of a recognition around the realities of making a living, a living on the water and what that means for your day-to-day -day existence and your ability to do some of these programs. It's a misfit. And somehow, I think if we can start solving for that misfit, I think we can we can move the ball down the field a little bit. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations on WERU Community Radio at 89.9 FM and streaming online at WERU.org. Our show today is all about Maine's working waterfronts, and our guests are Merritt Carey, who was just speaking and is the author of the recent report, The Critical Nature of Maine's Working Waterfronts and Access to the Shore, before Merritt was Nick Batista, Senior Policy Officer at the Island Institute, and in a minute here we'll hear again from Val Peacock, Bar Harbor resident, town councillor, and Harbor Committee member. Just a reminder that today's show was pre-recorded and we're not taking any calls. Let's get back to it. Yeah, and, and I, I do want to turn to Val for a second. Um, I think I have two questions to flesh out related to Bar Harbor. One is, is how... Um, how do the how is it for a municipality to be able to like what are the opportunities that you feel support you as a municipality as a as a member of a town council or as a member of a harbor community sort of grappling like is there support what what else do you need right to to kind of help you address some of the challenges that this that the bar harbor community is facing and then um sort of the next question that I want to talk about is well, what about like COVID and the riding, rising real estate, but that's, let's hold off on that. And let's talk a little bit about the municipal perspective. Like things happen, right? So cruise ships are sort of steadily increasing and that's fine until it's too much. And then, and then we react, right? We're very reactive. <laughs> like it's, we, we lose it and then we react or we have too much and then we react and we're not, we don't really have like good data or measure of like, what, what is it that makes something work well or, or be what we want it to be? Is it, how is it, is this what we want, right? Is this, are we doing what we want? Are we working towards what we want? And so we kind of know what we don't want and that's kind of too late <laughs> or it's, it's harder to work on it, right? Cause now you have to peel it back. And so for some of the issues in Bar Harbor, it is about that. It's like, how do we, how do we like keep track of and monitor and collect data and use that data to like, to be more um, in the moment and being able to um, react before it's like too late or to do things before it's too late. And then, so th there's definitely support and help that we need in that way. And I think, and I don't know if that's external or like it's internal conversations about how we do business or, but I do feel like we're not, we don't, we have some kind of data points, but we're not good at like qualitative data. Like what is the quality of experience? And that is something I think Bar Harbor is really feeling right now, right? We have had lots and lots of extra tourism because of COVID, you know, what some places have been emptied out from COVID and Bar Harbor has not, Bar Harbor has been over, like we've had extra tourism and that um, we're feeling it, right? Like we're feeling that, like what is the quality of experience of this? Like we have lots of people here. It's more than just quantity now. It's about quality and how do we measure that? And how do we understand that? And um, so there's that. And then I think 
with this new thing with, um, you know, the having the ferry terminal opportunity in our space um, is like, how do like, you know, I think about things like the, the village green in Bar Harbor, you know, there's this green space in Bar Harbor that was preserved and it was preserved a long time ago. And now it just is, and no one would ever think about building a hotel or selling the village green because we all just know, but that happened a long time ago, like somewhere along the lines, those somebody decided not to sell that piece of property right, or to donate it to the town. And um, now we have this new piece of property at the ferry terminal. And there's a huge investment that needs to happen, right? And I can see like, oh, this is our chance, right? To make the village green, to like, to create or open up or value or like create this thing that's for the rest of time that we're gonna preserve this access point, but we're the ones that have to pay for it. Like that's coming out of our taxes, right? And so we have to make this decision to like pay for it financially and like trade that money for that value of this thing that we really value. And like those conversations are interesting like to have, right? Because we're in this super polarized place. And so like, how do we decide what to do with this property and how do we have those conversations and move forward and what are the options and how do we pay for it, frankly, because I think like the town of Bar Harbor paying for like, you know, 20 or $30 million <laughs> things feels really overwhelming right now. And I feel that fiscal responsibility, like it's easy to dream about what it could be, but I'm the one that also has to vote to put that on the tax roll, right? And like that feels hard to me. So I think having conversations and thinking about, you know, what is the statewide, how does the state value this? How, how can we all, how do we all pay for this? Like, what are the options? How do we not just feel like it's just Bar Harbor on our own? And this isn't just for Bar Harbor, this is for all of us, right? So like, how do we, how do we do that? And what's the support for that in terms of actually paying for things or designing things or having conversations, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And and so what are we seeing are the changes that are happening today? And, and the two big ones that come to mind as sort of drivers of change are, of course, the pandemic and climate change. What are the impacts on the ground to our working waterfronts? Merit, I know you spent some time talking to a bunch of people up and down the coast in the last year and a half. What are you hearing about the, those particular challenges? I, I think the primary thing I'm I'm um, hearing or th that I heard in my interviews and that I observed, frankly, was just the volume has gotten turned up. Nick alluded to it. Um, things that were happening at a at a rate that maybe we could digest as a state all of a sudden are happening at warp speed. And specifically, it's the real estate market. It's it's no secret. Um, it's very, very, very hot in Maine, I guess, you know, in a lot of parts of the country, but in Maine in particular, I don't know that we were necessarily, we as a state were necessarily prepared for it. I think it's awesome in some ways. And I think, frankly, it's terrifying in other ways. And who's losing out in these transactions, by and large, I don't know that the, the data, the data is in necessarily, but I would say it's increasingly challenging for year-round residents to find any kind of housing, rental, or ownership. That's that's well documented. Uh, and that pressure continues on to our working waterfront. So a new owner comes in, maybe he or she doesn't know about the, you know, the handshake agreement with the clamor who's been clamming there for 15 years. And suddenly there's someone in their, you know, their quote unquote front yard uh, digging for clams. Well, 
I can understand from the new homeowners, homeowners perspective, like what's this guy doing in my front yard? I just paid a ton of money for this house and I have a, a guy there. Um, so I think that's, that, that's in some instances how this problem manifests. And I think there's also a component where we've fallen down. And again, I don't have an answer, but I don't think we've done a very good job at educating people who are new to Maine, who are coming into our state about some of these arrangements for lack of a better term and about the importance of our working waterfront, frankly, uh, and, and how, it, how, how we need to be supportive of it. Um, so that was a, that was a long winded answer to your simple question, but I, I think what we're really seeing is a lot of pressure on downward pressure on real estate, rising costs, uh, making it almost impossible for year-round Mainers in coastal communities to buy homes and to find rentals. And all of this is culminating with increased pressure on the working waterfront. And Nick, I think that you, you do some tracking of the stats. Um, what can you share with us in terms of some of the statistics related to some of these changes that have happened in the last year, year and a half or two? Yeah, so working waterfronts get it from both the water side. We talked a little bit about our dependence on commercial fisheries, and they also get it from the land side, as Merritt was just talking about. And so the median sale price for single family homes um, increased by almost 14% in 2020. 55% of Mainers are unable to afford the median home price, which um, is a pretty big number. Um, Maine leads the nation in housing vacancy rates, followed by Vermont and Alaska. Vacancy rates is often a proxy for second homes. Um, it sometimes seasonal homes, sometimes um, homes that aren't rented at the moment of the census, but it's a pretty good indication of, of second homes. 21% of our housing units statewide are vacant. National average is only 9.7% and vacancy rates in Knox, Lincoln, and Hancock counties top 30%, which those are all, all three counties have pretty strong working waterfront connections and communities. Um, our communities are getting older, mainly leads the country with the highest percentage of population over 65, and that's the fastest growing age cohort in the state, likely comprised 30% of the state's population by 2030. Um, that means that we're gonna be continuing to be seeing demographic changes and pressures on our state that look different from how, how they've been in the past. Our population growth is also lagging. We're, we added 2.6% to our population between 2010 and 2020. The US grew by 7%. Wow, wow, those are such interesting statistics. Thank you. Um, in, uh, in an effort to kind of wind us down, because our time has slipped by, amazingly, um, I, want, I want to sort of move us towards where do you, where do you see it going and, and what do you think are the priorities, whether it's in your individual town or taking advantage of some of the funding streams that are coming to Maine through the Recovery Act, like what would be one or two things that each of you would sort of recommend as as like the most immediate priorities to help address working waterfront issues. One thing that we we've touched on a little bit throughout throughout this conversation, which has been great, by the way, and thank you, Natalie, so much for hosting us. Uh, 
But one of the, one of the topics is educating both existing existing residents as well as people new to Maine about our working waterfronts and exactly what they do for us. So I don't know what that looks like. It could be a statewide PSA campaign. There are there are ways we edu educate the public that are really, really effective. And it seems like a worthwhile investment. And frankly, it's probably cheaper than buying up a ton of um, waterfront property in Maine at the moment. So and, and and there have been there have been instances where this has been done on a town by town basis, uh, where when people buy property, I can't remember the town, but there was a when people buy property in certain towns, they get a little brochure that says essentially, hey, you just bought, you know, welcome to the community. You just bought in a working waterfront town. Here are some of the things you should know about this working waterfront town, something along those lines, but a little bit bigger and a little bit uh, more coordinated. So that would be. That would be one action item that I think we could take and it wouldn't be insanely expensive and it might it might produce some results and it also will will engender I think better conversations about our working waterfront in the future because that's all this is we need the conversations we need the education and uh, and the understanding of the importance um, of Maine's working waterfront to the state of Maine and to our economy so that's one thing. And the second thing I think, and I, I outlined it in my report, is just a more nimble toolkit. We have the Working Waterfront Protection Act. That's phenomenal. It's, it's really wonderful in its magnitude. But we need programs that, that aren't quite so big, but also can benefit private landowners in, in a less onerous way, if you will. So I think just more tools in the toolkit, that's obviously going to come with a price tag how that would look and how it would manifest, um, you know, that would take some time to sort out, but it's doable. And the one, the one last thing I'll say is the nice thing about the working waterfront is it really is a problem, like it is simple in some ways to solve because you just need to buy it and protect it. And then it is protected. And once you've done that, it stays. So in that regard, there's there are some elements of simplicity to this problem that I that I really appreciate as an as a somewhat action-oriented person. Thank you so much, Merritt. Val, do you want to go next? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked a lot about the from the council perspective, like the need for um, some process tools to help us sort of work through, you know, what are the values we are going through our comprehensive um, process, um, comprehensive planning process in Bar Harbor right now, which I think is perfectly timed. And uh, I, I think, I hope this conversation and, and, you know, some of the issues that we're having on the waterfront kind of make it to the top of some of the issues that we're, we're going to, we're planning to address <laughs> in our comp plan. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I do think um, education is a huge piece of this. And, uh, and I think um, even beyond, um, you know, fishermen right now in particular, lobstermen have quite a lot of issues going on in their fishery. <laughs> There's a lot happening. Um, and, you know, they're being asked to come to the table to, you know, argue and defend and advocate for themselves in super big in real ways um, that, you know, are beyond what, like what Mary was saying, they just need to, they're, they're losing work days and, you know, that what they know how to do is fish. And now we're asking them to do these things. And I think in Bar Harbor in particular, fishermen feel fairly disenfranchised from the way the town has kind of 
just keeps piling more on top of them without, you know, prioritizing them. And I think there's like, whatever, who cares? And so for me, in my educational perspective, you know, I think we have some work to do with young people in our towns, like the, the, um, the, in the schools, working with students to connect them to the, the community and the issues in the community and to engage them in those challenges and to the solutions that they could be part of. Um, and I think we have this idea in our organization about aspiring to stay, you know, there, there's a lot of work around workforce development in, in the state right now. There's a lot of money coming out to like to, to get people developed for workforces, but like, who are those people, you know, our young people and what are the jobs that they ha are going to have? And are they going to have a place to put, you know, go down to their boat and get on there? And I even think about the future of our Harbor in terms of, you know, our fishing fleet's aging as well. Like who's replacing them? Who's going to be here? And then we're, you know, trying to design and protect working waterfront, but we need people to protect it for. So I think, you know, engaging our young, our youth in these, in this work, in the culture and the, in the sort of cultural history of the, of the working waterfront, of the past of that and the present and the future is really important too, so. Thank you, Val. And, and Nick, um, do you wanna wrap us up today and talk about sort of a bigger picture priorities as you're seeing it from a statewide policy perspective? Sure, and I would say everything that, that yes to everything Val and Merritt said, absolutely, we need all of those. Um, I think we need that, that statewide entity that you and Merritt were, were talking about to have this conversation. We all have parts of this conversation. We all see parts of the challenge and we all get those phone calls when somebody says, help, I got a working waterfront issue and I don't know what to do with it. Um, and we know those phone calls go out to people across the state. There isn't that central statewide node to work with the state, to work with communities, to work with fishing businesses, to work with all the organizations that have an interest in the working waterfront. Um, and I think it's really important to say that it's probably not the state. They're an absolutely critical partner in this. This is a place where the private sector or the nonprofit sector needs to be leading and pulling the state into those conversations as well as pulling in a whole bunch of other people. Um, and then I think looking forward, um, we really need to have a conversation as a state about what the future of our working waterfronts look like and what we want them to look like and what is the realistic future for the various businesses that depend on the working waterfront. As Val said, many of the fishing businesses in the state are facing some significant disruptions and challenges. Can we, if we care about working waterfronts, we have to be looking out 10 years and not forecasting based on the last 10 years, but forecasting based on what the next 10 years are likely to hold and prioritizing those working waterfronts that are important to a community that are vulnerable to disruption and change um, from whatever, wherever it comes from. And then making sure that if we want to protect those working waterfronts, we're working together to protect them. Closing us out today, that was Nick Batista, Senior Policy Officer at the Island Institute. Our two other guests today were Val Peacock, Bar Harbor resident, town councilor, and Harbor Committee member, and Merritt Carey, author of the recent report, The Critical Nature of Maine's Working Waterfronts and Access to the Shore. I am grateful to all three of them for their time on today's Coastal Conversations about Maine's Working Waterfronts. 
Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 4 to 5 p.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. The Coastal Conversations theme music of Following Sea was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you 